This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. 45 yards rushing on the drive. Here's a cutback for the touchdown for Crowell. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso. This week, we are joined by frequent friend of the pod, Corey Griffin of NBC Sports. We're going to give our midseason takes and reviews and some rants on the state of the New York Jets, who are currently 3-5 and five, and heading into back-to-back divisional games against the Miami Dolphins and Buffalo Bills before their bye week. Make sure to give Corey a follow on Twitter, at Corey Griffin NBC, and of course, make sure to give me a follow on Twitter, at Jay Caparoso. Uh, we are about 50 ratings away from 300 on iTunes, so make sure to subscribe, rate us. Also have the podcast available on Spotify and Google Play. Uh, appreciate everybody continuing to listen. Make sure you're also subscribed to the Play Like a Jet feed, uh, where there is about four to five different shows rolling out each week, including Know Your Foe, including There's Always Next Year, uh, including... Uh, all of Scott's different ongoing interviews from different moments and seasons in Jets history. Basically, just subscribe to the feed and you're going to get a ton of great historical and current New York Jets content. Outside of that, check out the website. We'll have rolling content. We're also still moving different shirts and sweatshirts over at our store at The Loyalist. We're going to continue forward on the Turn of the Jets podcast with the show every Thursday. We'll also try to drop in a couple additional Saturday mailbag shows, so keep those questions coming through on Twitter. And we are now joined by this week's guest, frequent friend of the pod, Corey Griffin, joining us for a little mid-season ranting. Corey, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well. I am doing well. Nice. Happy Halloween to everybody, by the way. This is, uh, we are recording this on Halloween, although it will launch on November 1st. Halfway through the year here, Jets are 3-5, and five, uh, coming off two straight losses after having previously won two straight games before that. Neither of the losses were all that pretty. Uh, both very difficult watches, I would say, to put it politely. Taking a bigger step back, are you surprised, disappointed, basically met your expectations? What do you think of the Jets being 3-5 and five right now? I think they're about my expectations. Um, some might call me a, a, a negative Nancy, um, I, I tend to view it as uh, being a pragmatist. Uh, this was never a playoff team, the, you know, despite the, the promising game against the Lions, which understandably we all kind of got sucked into and, and thought how good could this team be and how high could it go. But when you looked at the, the long view and you looked at the depth of the roster, um, you know, this was never going to be a 10-win a team. The, the absolute ceiling always felt like 8-8, eight and 7-9. Eight, uh, the floor felt anywhere from four and four and twelve to you know six and ten. Um, I, I still think they'll probably end up around six wins. Maybe they, you know, they they do have a couple games coming up against the Dolphins and Bills with with bad quarterbacks and Brock Osweiler and either Nathan Peterman or Matt Frickin Barkley. Uh, you know, so those are two winnable games that could get them into a position to to get on the high end of that scale. But no, I think this is about probably where they should have been and where they they should be given the the injuries and the and the level of talent on the roster. Being someone, and you are someone similar to this, who's watched a lot of Jet football and seen how these things play out. Tell me if this sounds 
potentially about right for how the rest of this Jets season can play out. They win the next two games, fairly ugly games, but wins nonetheless. They go into the bye week 5-5. Five and five. Everybody's very excited about a potential playoff run in the final six games. They show up against New England and are competitive but ultimately lose, go to 5-6, and six, and then they finish the year 2-3 and three and get to 7-9, and nine, and they have uh, a surprising and or encouraging win in those last three weeks, whether they upset... Tennessee or they upset Green Bay because Rodgers has a bad game or it's a bad weather day. Somehow they find their way to 7 and 9. At 7 and 9, the consensus becomes well, 7 and 9 is actually pretty impressive with the rookie QB. We're going to bring everybody back. Maybe they change defensive coordinators, but beyond that, it's pretty much the same thing. They go into the offseason with 100 million dollars to spend, which we know can be an overrated thing. Can you see that scenario playing out, and what are your concerns with it? I, I think it's absolutely feasible. I think it's probably the most likely scenario. Um, yeah, you know, obviously they get blown up by the Pats after the, or you know, after the buy. But um, I, I think you know, seven and nine is a totally feasible scenario, and, and the idea that they want to run everything back, especially with the uncertainty of, of we don't know how much power Chris Johnson has to make those sorts of organizational changes. Uh, especially since, you know, Todd Bowles doesn't report to Mike McCagnan. Todd Bowles reports to the owner, and whether he reports to Woody or Chris Johnson um, remains to be seen. And we'll probably never know that until they make a decision and someone asks the question. Uh, I, I My main concern is that I, I don't think that, and I've said this before the season, I said this during the season, I said this last year, Todd Bowles is what he is. He's not going to change. He's not going to improve, you know, uh, the – the 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 you know Ron Rivera you know Riverboat Ron transformation is not going to happen. Um, that 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 change to a guy who takes chances on fourth downs, who knows how to manage a game, who leans defensively but understands that you need to take some risks on offense to succeed, is never coming. And the idea that this team can be successful with a person like Todd Bowles in charge in today's NFL is a giant mistake. He doesn't understand the way the NFL is successful now. He doesn't understand how to manage a game. He doesn't believe in taking risks. He doesn't believe in empowering as a quarterback. Um, and he doesn't believe in, in, in dynamic offensive weaponry or at least empowering them that way. Um, I, I think that bringing everyone back would be a massive mistake. I think it would, uh, you know, delay the timetable for this team to be successful, no matter how much money they have to spend in free agency. Uh, and I think it would generally be a giant step back or at the very best, um, you know, a kind of stand a moment of, of standing in place. I, yeah, I, I do think a lot of Jet fans are forgetting that they have an interim owner. So I feel like if it's a borderline decision, uh, I could see Chris Johnson skewing on the side of the status quo rather than shaking things up and leading a surge for a new head coach and a new general manager. Although again, you know, we t- I am of the belief that if you're firing the head coach, I think it's fine to also fire the general manager and kind of, you know, clean it out for the top. I don't necessarily believe McCagnan has earned the right to go hire a head coach, as some fans frame it. I don't necessarily think he's done a good job. I think Bowles has been below average. I think McCagnan has been below average. I think the Jets could do fine without both of them because you present then a pretty enticing situation. You have a young franchise quarterback. You have $100 million. You have a first-round pick. 
you somewhat limit the appeal of it if you're saying to a head coach he has to come in with a previously existing GM who has whatever infrastructure is already in place. You kind of go clean slate. Maybe you get more of a natural uh, combination that works better, and you set up a more traditional process where the GM hires the head coach uh, more formally, where, whereas the Jets did hire McCagnan before Bowles, but they have that weird reporting structure where both report into ownership, which, of course, is not traditional and leads to all types of problems. Uh, I, I don't see that McCagnan has done enough other things spread throughout this roster to merit that he comes back. My sort of main takeaway, and I think, look, the mid-round problems and the late-round problems kind of speak for themselves, and they're not unique to the Jets, but they're a little more pronounced here, particularly when you look at the receiver dev chart. I am still of the belief, and it's a, it's a tough thing to say because I like these guys. I like watching them play football. They're good football players, and they're easy to root for. I still think the Jets made the wrong decision drafting Leonard Williams and Jamal Adams because of the positions they play, because of who was available when they were taken. And I think that they're still overrated by Jet fans. Everyone says these guys are all-pro players. They're not all-pro players. They've never made an all-pro team. They've never even made a Pro Bowl team. Being an alternate doesn't count. I wouldn't say either are top five players in the league at their positions. I think we want them to get there. I think in the case of Adams, it could still happen. I think with Williams, it's four years. I don't think he's that guy. I think he's just a good starter who might be a Pro Bowler once or twice, but really isn't a perennial all-pro. So really... McCadden got you the quarterback, and you know he had to do it by giving up multiple draft picks because he passed on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and other routes to do that. But does that set the Jets up for a Ryan Grigson situation where you hang on to a GM just because he got the quarterback pick, which was a kind of obvious pick at the time? I, it could. I mean, I, I tend to side with the fact that they're probably going to keep McCadden. Um I, I don't. I don't think that the the leaking of how successful and how or how um, influential Brian Heimerdinger was in this offseason was an accident. I, I don't think it was necessarily just coordinated by by Heimerdinger's representation. I think if you're, you're McCagnan, you're smart to say like, "Hey, look, we have this young, uh, impressive staff that we're developing and building, and it makes sense for you know if you keep me, you keep them, and we build and we build and we build and." You know, maybe McCagnan is selling that. You know, maybe when teams come calling for Heimerdinger, I move up in the thing where I'm the you know head of football operations, and then uh, Heimerdinger slides in as the GM, and then they hire the coach or something like that. I, I could easily see that being the case. I don't know if it is or isn't. Um, I, I I with you. I don't think Mike McCagnan has done a good job. Uh, I don't think Leonard Williams is what he was sold as, and that happens with first round picks, whether they're the number six overall pick or the number 26 overall pick. I mean, you just, you look at the, the 2015 draft in, in general and it, it, at the time, you know, you looked at it and it seemed like this transformational epic draft that we'll all remember for, for years and years and look back on like 1984 and these, um, the JJ Watt draft where it's just like, Oh my God, look at how much talent is here. And um, it, it's becoming more and more uh, a situation of, of guys who have failed to live up to this, this potential that they have. Uh, and Leonard Williams is part of that. Adams, Adams is very good. Um, I think he has the potential to be great. I think he, he has the potential to be a true difference maker. It's still kind of frustrating that that he lives mostly by the line of scrimmage, and and you know for every wonderful play that he makes where he blows up a play in the backfield or or blows through the line, he seems to get redirected or misread things. Uh, 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 you know, every two or three other plays, which happens, but it, it can be frustrating. Um, I, I think something that you wrote is is the main thing. And you look at you look at Mike McCagnan's draft history, right? And you look at his draft history with the Jets. 
And how much has he invested in, you know, the prime positions, quarterback, edge rusher, cornerback, pass protector. And he hasn't really invested in any of them. I mean, even wide receiver, if you want to include that as a quarterback's best friend, you know, you, we can, you talk about overrated players. I love Quincy Nunwa. I think Robbie Anderson is a good player, but Jets fans think they're superstars. Um, and I think one of the best idioms about these, these players is they're not as bad as, you know, mainstream media seem to think they are, but they're not as good as Jets fans think they are. And, um, the, the Jets have got to invest in left tackle and right, and they've got to invest in a pass rusher. They've got to invest in corners so they don't have to keep going out and paying Darrell Rivas after his prime and paying Tremaine Johnson on free agent market uh, and hoping Mo Claiborne stay health, stays healthy. Um, and then they've got to get weapons for, I hate that word, but they've got to get targets for Sam Darnold who are reliable, young, uh, exciting targets. You look at the way the Chiefs um, and even the Eagles and the um, – the Bears have invested around their young the Texans trading for Demarius Thomas. And these are teams that are that are going out and doing what it takes to add young uh, or moderate, relatively young pieces around their young quarterback uh, to make him successful. And that's something that has to be a number one priority for the franchise, whether it's uh, whether it's Mike McCagnan or or another person. So, looking at the rest of this year. What are your hopes for these final eight games? Let's put the head coach and the general manager aside. Because honestly, if you ask me today, I think both are going to be back next year. I think the Jets are going to finish 7-9. and nine. They're going to talk themselves into keeping both of them. And we got to hope that uh, they find a way to you know hit in the draft and hit in free agency. I think my hope for the rest of the year, in particular for this week with Darnold, is that the last couple of games, I think he struggled. But I think it's been reasonable as to why he struggled. I actually think he was pretty good against Chicago considering the circumstances. Miami has been awful on pass defense the past few weeks. We saw what Deshaun Deshaun Watson did to them. Of course, Darnold's not going to have his full arsenal of weapons. I want to see him on a positive trajectory over these last eight games. And I think there's some games that will be conducive to that and some games that won't. We get to see him for the first time against New England. We get to see him against Buffalo twice. And Buffalo is awful, but they have a pretty good defense that forces a lot of turnovers. We've got to see him beat Miami. You get five games left against the AFC East and then three other games against teams who will likely be in the mix for a playoff spot in some way, including playing Deshaun Watson uh, and the Texans and Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So Darnold gets through the year, first half of the year, 11 touchdowns, 10 10 interceptions, only one fumble, which really wasn't on him. Uh, I think, you know, angry Giant fans are always like, well, he's in the bottom five for every major category. You're not grading him on a curve next to the – you're grading him on a curve compared to rookie performances, not compared to veterans around the league. Where do you want to see him end up statistically, and what are some benchmarks you're looking for him to hit in the back half of the year? I think, um, you know, if he could get his completion percentage over 60%, I think some of the problems that we've seen with him early on, uh, particularly in the last few weeks, he, he tends to have, he has, he's okay at the start. Uh, and then we see him kind of crater in the second and third. Uh, and then we see him uh, in the fourth kind of turn it on and, and, and start to move the offense. Now part of that, the defense is softening like against Chicago this past week. Um, but he's made plays in the, in the second half, in the late, the second half of the second half of games, um, to, to, to really ignite the offense. I'd like to see him come better out of the gate in the, in the, in the third quarter when they have halftime adjustments. Um, I, I would like to see him up his completion percentage. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't 
and I said this to you at the beginning of the season, the touchdown to interception ratio to me doesn't doesn't matter. I, I don't care if he throws 25 picks. Um, the thing that's important to me is that he continues to take chances, that he doesn't um, become overly concerned with the pressure to the point where he's now just dumping it off every time or that they're scheming it that way. I think he needs to continue to challenge defenses down the field, needs to continue to play vertically. Um, hopefully getting Anderson back eventually will help with that. Uh, but they've got to continue to challenge defenses beyond just 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Um, I, I think the thing that we're going to remember about him, and this is just a, you know, it, it, it's it's unfortunate, but it's the way our brains work. We're going to, the most important games for him are going to be games against Watson, Rodgers, and Brady. Those are going to be the, and Mariota to a certain extent. Those are going to be the games that we're going to remember. You know, if he plays poorly against Buffalo, um, we're going to be able to, and our brains are going to explain that away as well. They're injured and it's a bad, it's a really tough defense and blah, 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 and all that. But we're going to measure if he plays well or has moments against those four quarterbacks, particularly the three, the, the, the Watson, the Ray Brady and the Rogers, the ones that are, that are in the top of the rankings. If he shows like, you know, I'm not scared of going up against these guys and I hate that that cliche, but if he plays big in moments and he doesn't have to win those games, but those are the games that we're going to remember and take away into this off season, look back and be like, Hey, remember when, you know, uh, jams stood up to, to Brady and, and it was competitive in the fourth quarter. I mean, just think about the way we lionized Sanchez for some of the ways, some of the times that he played well against New England. Um, you know, that, uh, the Geno Smith game against green Bay in green Bay is the game that I, I always stands out to me about, about him. Um, those are the games that we're going to remember those, those games against those, those iconic quarterbacks or the young quarterbacks like Watson and, and Mariota who are our benchmarks for, for Darnold's future. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think you're right. Those those stat lines are going to get overemphasized. You know, if Watson's coming out for three, four hundred yards, or you know, Mariota's doing that, or Rodgers, and seeing how Darnold plays in those games, particularly against New England and against Brady, even though the Jets are going to have no business uh, competing with New England or beating them, seeing how he holds up playing in New England and playing against a big Bill Belichick defense are going to be interesting benchmarks for him elsewhere around this offense and we can wrap up with this I get this question a lot it's it's a really interesting one especially considering two of the guys are hurt right now Anderson and Nuwa Curse are all free agency free agents in one way or the other after this year outside of that you have you know Burnett Rashard Matthews whatever the rest of the depth chart who is staying who is going who are you investing in no one likes Quincy and Nuwa more than me but what do you pay him? He's had a tough time staying healthy. I get the feeling that the Jets are not going to want to invest big money in Robbie Anderson long term, despite the unique skill set he brings. I feel like Curse's time has kind of ran its course, but you got this entire group of receivers. It's kind of bare on the free agent market. You have a Randall Cobb. You have a Tyrell Williams. Uh, obviously, we know Le'Veon Bell's out there. He's a running back, but he contributes in the passing game. How are the Jets going to attack skill positions around Darnold next year? I, for whether I agree with it or not, do think they're going to be very serious players for Le'Veon Bell. And everyone knows how I feel about running backs, about over-investing them, about over-drafting them. I also think the Jets are in a spot where they have so much money and there's a limited pool of talent in the free agent market that I don't know if there is a better way for them to spend money than there is to spend on Le'Veon Bell coming off a year where he barely plays. I just don't know where else that money is going. If it's going to go to people like Terrell Pryor, um, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, and some of the other people the Jets signed this past offseason, I I guess I don't mind them paying Bell on a smart contract. I mean, how do you think they're going to attack skill positions this offseason? 
I think we'll definitely see them in the market for a big ticket item. I think that's been a pretty consistent um a pretty consistent thing of, of, of the Jets and specifically McCagnan or his last year with, with, um, with Cousins. When they have money, they're going to go after some sort of big ticket item, uh, whether that's an ownership mandate or an organizational mandate. It, it's transitioned from GM to GM to GM. Uh, that seems to happen every year where they are flush with cash. It's let's throw it at the biggest name we can. Um, so I, I think they'll go after Bell. Uh, whether he wants to go there, I, I, We'll we'll find out. Um, you know, there's you can allude to the tweet that he once referenced, where someone asked him if he would go play for the Jets, and he was like, "Nah," or something like that. It, it was just very dismissive of ever playing for the team. But money talks, and we'll see. Um, I, I think Anderson and Curse are probably gone. I think they've tired of Anderson's off the field stuff, probably, and, and his lack of consistency this year on the field is is not helped him. Uh, if he had had a big year, if he had had a year where he had multiple splash plays, and maybe he will in the second half, and that will kind of change things, but the, the pace and the trajectory he's on is, is not great. Uh, I think they will re-sign Ndunwa. I think you saw how uh, reliable and how useful he is to someone like Darnold. Uh, I think I think it's it's worthwhile to keep him around. I think you can also, because of the injuries like you alluded to, you can get him probably at a discount, uh, especially if, if you make a deal. Um, if if Ndunwa shows that he's healthy and, and puts together a solid stretch into mid-December, it wouldn't surprise me if they announced a deal around then. Um, and then I think you're going to see them probably dip back into the free agent market for uh, a person here or there. You know, you'll see um, possibly a, a similar approach to maybe what the Bears did, where you know you, you go out and you get a uh, you don't just go out and get Kevin White, but you go out and get not Kevin White, um, uh, Allen Robinson, but you go out and get uh, a Taylor Gabriel. Um, you make little investments on on bit guys to see what they do. You throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and you see what sticks. And I also think. And I would be surprised if they don't. Maybe they won't, but I would be surprised if they didn't draft a wide receiver high this year. Um, I know, obviously, we all know they need offensive tackles and edge rushers, um, but I think there are some pretty interesting wide receiver prospects coming out of college football this year, Anthony Johnson. Um, and I think that, that it would be wise to at least explore adding a, a high-talent uh, wide receiver either in the first round um, or, or trading up into the second round to get, try to get one. Yeah, look, it feels like the kind of offseason where they will go above and beyond and I do think this will help him and they and they will uh execute this but they will go above and beyond to have it optically look like they flooded the team with weapons for Darnold. I think the Bears did a little bit of this last last offseason getting Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Trey Burton, uh, continuing to double down with you know what they're doing with Cohen and Howard. I think that will be that type of offseason. And the question is, you know, how how efficient and smart can you be with those spends? But I agree that that is how it's ultimately, you know, going to play out. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, can they land some of the big ticket items and can they actually land pieces that are smart and make sense for their offense? And I do think the Bears deserve credit for doing that because Burton is not like he was like he's not necessarily a massive name. Same with Taylor Gabriel, but these are guys who fit well into their overall offensive scheme. So hopefully the Jets can be smart and targeted uh with how they go about doing it. Corey, as always, thank you for joining us. Everybody, go give him a follow on Twitter at Corey Griffin NBC. We'll talk to you down the stretch run and see uh, if more rants are merited or not. I appreciate it. Thank you, as always, for having me.